Hi, counseling friends. Are you wondering why you should join the Perks Counseling Content Club? Well, first, it's your one-stop shop for all counseling resources. Imagine having everything from interactive tools and templates to complete Tier 1, 2, and 3 curriculum kits at your fingertips. Plus, it offers a fantastic community support system and professional development opportunities tailored just for school counselors. So if you're ready to revolutionize your counseling game, join the club today. Trust me, it's a game changer. To join, just go to www.perkscontentclub.com. You're listening to the Counselor Chat Podcast, a show for school counselors looking for easy to implement strategies, how-to tips, collaboration, and a little spark of joy. I'm Carol Miller, your host. I'm a full-time school counselor and the face behind Counseling Essentials. I'm all about creating simplified systems, data-driven practices, and using creative approaches to engage students. If you're looking for a little inspiration to help you make a big impact on student growth and success, you're in the right place because we're better together. Ready to chat? Let's dive in. Hey, counselors, welcome back to Counselor Chat. It's Carol, your host, and I am going to be joined on the podcast today by Leslie Caprell. Leslie is a social worker who is also the face behind informed decisions if you follow her on TPT or Facebook or Instagram. And Leslie is going to be talking with us today about how we can incorporate diversity into our groups. But we also dive into the world of advisory and how we can really make the most of an advisory program and, and spark that up a bit. Um, before we dive in, though, I just want to share a little review that I received for the podcast from Allison Miller 107. And Allison titles it First Year School Counselor. And she writes, As a first year school counselor, I could not thank Carol enough for these. She is so knowledgeable. I like to listen to these while doing my cardio at the gym. She is amazing, and I would recommend her resources and podcasts to anyone. Allison, thank you so much for that review. I really love it. And I also love that you're a Miller too. Not that we're related, but I don't know, maybe in some uh, distance place we are. But thank you for that that lovely review. I It really warms my heart. If you are listening, if you could also leave a review, that really means so much. It helps other counselors like Allison and you and people that haven't really discovered the podcast yet to, to find us and to really get this information so that hopefully they can use what they learn here from our interviews with other counselors and incorporate it into their own counseling program. So your reviews really mean a lot. But that's enough about that. I think it's time to really just dive in. So here we go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Counselor Chat Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. And we have a special guest on the podcast. Today, I'm here with Leslie Caprell. And Leslie is a licensed clinical social worker from Brooklyn. And she has been working with Court and gang-involved youth, LGBTQIA, plus students, teen mothers, and special need populations. Leslie is also the face behind informed decisions on TPT, 
Facebook, and Instagram. And Leslie is committed to creating multicultural resources to help educators really reach all students and provide equitable opportunities for all. So Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So I was hoping that as we begin, that you could tell all our listeners a little bit more about yourself and maybe about your role. So (laughs) I have been working with teens for many years. Um, I really, really love putting together programs um, for advisory and SEL. And I, you know, really enjoy creating lesson plans that are engaging for teens to make it super easy for teachers and counselors to implement them in their classrooms so they can form those connections with students. Um, I'm currently work with a bunch of different age ranges, still doing counseling and also working on um, my own uh, company informed decisions. Awesome. Well, we are so excited that you are here here today. So I know this summer uh, that you're one of our presenters at our summer counselor conference and your session for our listeners is all about engaging your students in groups, advisory, and sell. And I think, you know, when I think about advisory programs, I really think of you as like the guru of all things advisory, because you seem to really have your hand in it. I know that you've been doing it for a while and you are like, you have so much insight over it. Uh, Well, about um, advisory. Well, thank so, you. That's kind of exciting. I love to hear that, that I'm a guru. <laughs> I think you are. I don't know. You're always talking about advisory. And I think if anybody wants to know about it, like I'm going to send them your way because you. <laughs> I think you've been doing it for a really long time and you know all about it. I have. I don't like to say how long it's been, though. I like to keep <laughs> that kind of a secret, but it's been a while. Um, so, I, well, I was hoping that today you could maybe tell people a little bit about advisory what an advisory program is, because I think maybe some of our newer counselors, they might not even know what that means. Um, And then maybe you can tell them a tip or two about running them. And I definitely want to hear some strategies, how we can get kids engaged. So I'm going to turn it all over to you and you can share with us everything. So I guess the, I like to make it simple, even though, you know, it's so complicated when we're doing counseling that there's so many layers, but the easiest way to say it is the advisory program, you know, is, is actually SEL, um, but both teachers and counselors do it. So we end up taking two roles, right? We either take the role where we're facilitating it or we're developing it and training the teachers on how to do it. So there, you know, there are some slight differences to an advisory. And I know it's called different things in different parts of the country. But I've had people tell me, you know, we call it this or, you know, we call it something else, but we have a similar program. Um, but, you know, the, the thing that makes it a little different for us, too, is, you know, how we write up activities for counseling. If we do push-ins or if we uh, do, you know, guidance lessons versus where we're doing it in a class. So if you have the optimal advisory, it would be you know, like a a group between 12 to 15, but I've definitely done up to 30, which is a little more challenging. Um, For that, if you end up getting a group of 30, break everything down into smaller groups and still facilitate your activities that way would be the the best thing that I can say to do that for that. Um, You know, uh, 
where it comes to, where the difference is too, when you're writing it up, it's a little more in detail than an activity that we would write up, but it's a lot less detail than the teacher would need for them to write up their lesson plans. You know, they have all these other things that, that don't really need to be included when we're talking about social emotional skills. So, it, you know, it could be anything from bullying uh, to talking about college or facilitating relationships, um, anything that, you know, is along that spectrum of things that we would definitely do for some of the activities and the lesson plans that we would have. Now, I have a, a question just because it just popped into my my head. Sure. And I know way back in the day when I was working in middle school, we actually, when I first started in the middle school, we had an advisory period, which was like kind of in the morning. And I'm just wondering, do you think most schools from your experience that have advisories tend to be like middle and high schools? Or do you ever see that in the younger grades? I, I doesn't mean they don't exist. I've never seen it in elementary, but my focus has always been middle and high school. So okay. a lot of fantastic programs in the middle and high school, and I've seen them done so many different ways. Um, one of the schools I was in, uh, did an advisory where the entire Wednesday, the kids went to school from, um, you know, until about noon and they just did advisory all Wednesday. And then oh. the rest of the day, the teachers did professional development trainings. Um, I've also seen it a lot with the mornings and the thing I have mixed feelings about the morning ones. Because I feel like if it's done first thing in the morning, sometimes it ends up being like a homeroom where they're checking in for attendance more and kids kind of blow it off. You know, my preference, if it could, you know, optimally be one way is I would have it worked into the school day so they're more apt to go. And I also would prefer it to be graded so they feel accountable. So there are always students that are not going to participate regardless. But, you know, that has bigger buy-in, I think where it's taken more seriously. Okay. When I, you know, look back at my own experiences of having the advisory, we did it first thing in the morning and it was like for 20 minutes. And sometimes it did feel like kind of an extended homeroom period. Um, and we're always looking for activities, but, you know, sometimes having to shorten them for that length of time was kind of challenging. And it's, it is challenging because, you know, by the time you get the students in, they're settled and then you introduce the activity and you finally start getting to talk about it, your time is done. It's kind of sometimes how I always felt about like the, the lunch when we only had it for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time you get the kids and you grab them for lunch and, and you have it in the middle of the day and you get started and it's over, I don't feel like you have as much time for, you know, and I know you're big with lunch bunch groups, so... uh I don't feel like the morning you get that time with them to really discuss and like reflect on the activity that you do. So it ends up being smaller bits of information. I know um, one of our nearby schools, when I was in the middle school, they had their advisory period as like a part of a, like it was a study hall, but all kids had to go to it. It was like, so it was 43 minutes and it was a scheduled part in the day. They only had it once a week, but every kid had a study hall four days a week. And then one day was their advisory. And I always thought that was like, awesome. I wish that our school would have done it that way as well. But as you said, like the one school that you were talking about where they did it every Wednesday for like half a day, that would be really, that's a really neat concept. I would love that. 
So I have, um, I will, um, I'm definitely going to send a couple links for listeners so they can have, but I definitely have an advisories that fail um, blog post. As long as they did the one day that was advisory, that's great. But I've also seen a lot of schools change the advisory period for the, when they're not properly trained to facilitate, turn it into study hall. And I feel like it loses all that excitement of what students can learn. Okay. Okay. All right. So great. I will be looking for that link and I'll <laughs> make sure that I, I include it because I want to read that too. Very cool. Do you have like maybe a tip for running a really great advisory or um, a strategy to really get our kids engaged? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a lot of skills that, that counselors already have. Those skills that they use to connect with students to begin with, right? So one of the things that I really love to do is have them be a part of what they're learning. So we have a lot more flexibility in advisory unless your school is beyond structured. There isn't the state standard. So you have more flexibility in what they're learning. So you can actually ask them what they want to learn. So I usually pass out a survey, have them mark off what they want to learn and kind of construct it that way. I mean, most of the time you already have the advisory laid out, but it also gives them input. You're going to talk about all the stuff that you give them on the checklist anyway, but it makes them feel like they're part of what they're learning. You know, when do they have that opportunity in math, they walk into class and they already have whatever algebra or whatever they're learning for the year is already set. You know, they don't get to say, hey, I really want to learn this. Right. So, oh, I love you, the idea of a survey, too. That's awesome. So I also provide <laughs> your listeners with a link for that so they can okay. use that. And I've just developed it also that um, it's digital. I was very excited about that because I've been using hard copy for years and then just tallying it up for myself. <laughs> But, you know, it, it gives you in this way, if students are like, well, you know, I'm not really into that. Well, you said this is what you wanted to learn. I took all the information. So it gives, you know, another part of the buy in for students. Um, another thing that I that I also really encourage doing is having them create their own ground rules, like have them come up with the ground rules and have them um, say what they want, you know, because they hold each other accountable for the rules. And they're so used to saying the same rules over and over again that they've learned since kindergarten that they're going to give the same things that we expect anyway with one person speaks at a time, you know, allowing different things. But it, it gives you a really good basis. You know, those two things are in every single group, have it be advisory or anything else. I've always done that. And it just gives so much more buy-in for students because they've been allowed to help create the environment themselves. Right. I think that's so true. You know, when kids think that they have, that their voice is being heard, that they can come up with some of the rules themselves, even though they're what we really want them to have anyway, they're, the buy-in is so much more. All right. Well, I have one more question for you. Sure. Because as I'm listening, so you said you did a survey and then the kids create their own ground rules. So it it really sounds like that what you're doing in your advisory might be different than the advisory that's down the hall with another teacher and maybe like a social worker or a school counselor versus um, another one on the other end of the building that's doing something different. Is that right? Well, if you have the program implemented effectively, 
Mm-hmm. you've had all your teachers trained in how to facilitate and give them the tips ahead of time. And that's one yeah. thing that I really like to stress because there is a lot of pushback from teachers um, and other staff that, you know, uh, through my experience, and I don't, I can't say everybody, through my experience, there tends to be a pattern of educators that are super excited about it. And there tends to be educators that are not. Um, and having professional development time where you're actually teaching them exactly what they need to know, providing them lesson plans, telling them how they can structure it and almost providing them the information they need makes it really helpful. So it allows for maybe different lesson plans and and different days and not everybody's doing the same thing, but pretty much all the students should be getting the same information. And a huge part of it is really too forming those connections, because once they have the connection with the person that's facilitating the advisory, um, that that's where you get, you know, your students engaged and excited about learning. Connections are so important. And that is truly what drives not only the engagement for the, on the student's behalf, but the engagement on the, the teacher's participation as well. So if they feel like they're not connected with the students, and I'm just thinking about teachers that I've worked with in the past, if they don't feel connected with their classroom, they aren't motivated to be there. They're like, you know, it's awful. You go in there and you could just feel the energy because there isn't any. That connection is so important. It really allows, you know, it allows the students, and that's what I think is so great about an advisory program. It helps them feel connected to the teacher's have more, you know, have more connection to the school itself. They feel more engaged in learning. And it kind of, you know, the results of all the statistics that are out there say that it, you know, helps raise attendance and engagement and graduation and as a result of all of the implementation. But again, that comes back to, isn't it the program implemented effectively? Are they making it solely a study hall or you know, are, are they only doing that 20 minutes in the morning or are they doing something that's really connecting to the students and really engaging them in the school? So it's a culture that really needs to come from the top down. And, you know, there are always going to be people that are that are pushed back. But if you're the one that's putting together the program in the school, you know, it becomes the responsibility to try to overcome some of the objections so that we can get staff involved. In your advisories that you've run, Do you do like a lot of like, do you do like a combination of like hands-on activities or do you do a lot of fishbowl type discussions or what do you think is more of your like go-to style or strategy style? I guess my go-to style is just interactive. I'm not the hugest fan of just handing out worksheets, even though some of my students would have really loved that. Um, I was, I was actually talking about this earlier that, um, I had an advisory one year set up where they had like the most difficult students in the advisory. And then they ended up switching it and giving me the students that were um, straight A students that really like to work independently. So they weren't the biggest fans, the fact that I made everything group work, like eventually at jobs, you're going to have to work with other people. So we need to really learn this skill. So the most of my, I have to say my go-to and my style is definitely activity-based. I like to do the activity first and then kind of debrief with them. Well, why do you think we did this? What do you think this activity is about? 
you know, and, and really have them reflect on what we're doing and how it connects to them personally and how it's going to affect them in, in their everyday lives. I love that. I am such a big, big fan of the hands-on activities and then the whole, like, what did we just do? And then what does it mean? And now how would you use this in your future? So I love that. All right. Leslie, is there anything else that you can think of that you'd like to share with everyone today? I mean, just a little bit because we started talking about having a phone from the conference. But the other thing, too, is definitely knowing the population of your students. So that will be what my session is about um, for the conference. But really knowing the different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures of your students, because that's going to be really important in connecting with them and creating your, um, you know, your lesson plans and how you engage with them. You know, I know when I first started, um, and I know some people made a part of the story, but it definitely was, we want you to create this program. Um, we want you to create a social emotional learning program and I asked them where the curriculum was. And of course, they said, we don't have any. So create it yourself. And they're here, you know, the examples that I kept finding in books were like, Susie was a cheerleader and Bobby's on the football team. And our students didn't have a football team. We didn't have any extracurricular activities that students went to. They didn't connect with that. That was, you know, in an urban area, they used to go up to the park for PE. There wasn't even a space for them to have it indoors. So there was no connection that our students had. So I ended up, you know, that's kind of how I got started in this was starting to create the, the activities that reflected the students and their cultural backgrounds and what they could connect to in in their everyday lives and what their experiences were. Right. And that is really important consideration to do. Um, I think for any counselor out there who's listening to to this and is thinking, you know, I'm responsible for writing lesson plans for for my students and, and for my school. I really think knowing the backgrounds and knowing what their lived experiences are, are really important. Um, I can remember doing, it was a second step lesson, actually. And it was about um, the, something it had to do with, with the swimming pool. It was like one of their safety lessons. And I just kept thinking, our kids, uh, you know, cause I'm, was working in, I'm in an inner city school and I'm like, our kids don't have swimming pools. <laughs> like that, they're not going to go to their neighbor's house and go swimming. That's just not something that that's feasible. If they are swimming, it's maybe at the Y or maybe they're going um, to the, you know, the pool in the park, but it's definitely not their own. And they're not just going to be jumping over the fence to go swimming. So I think it's so important to think about that. And I know the swimming is like a small minor thing, but uh, it's, these are experiences that we have to think about. What are, what are kids lives like? But it, it's not even that minor, because if you use that example, right, your students would push back and say, well, we don't swim. So how is this helpful for us? Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's important, even when you have a canned program, like a second step, you know, to go through it really carefully and critically mm-hmm. and through with different lenses. Well, that's also too, you know, when I sometimes read comments and feedback from people, I'm always curious too that 
you know, you really should be going whatever you purchase, even if it seems like the perfect fit, you still want to go through it before you facilitate it to make sure that it connects to exactly what you need for your population. And, you know, it's funny because I think before I really was involved in NTPT, I, I'll admit, I was guilty of not always thinking about the experiences that my kids were having. But now I even have to think more globally when I'm putting together lessons and things for TPT, because I've had people say, uh, I live in Florida and it doesn't snow. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so maybe that wasn't a good example, you know, in whatever discussion card I was putting together. But, you know, it's so important to to really think a little bit more, be more open-minded as to what experiences are out there. But see, I look at it as the way, but maybe one of the people that purchased your resource in New Hampshire does, you know, mm -hmm. so I definitely have snow or Canada. So then for me, I would be looking at it. Okay. We live in Florida. So that's not the right, the right fit for us for this card. We'll leave that one out of the discussion. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's what I'm I, saying, like taking a look to make sure it meets the needs of your population, because it's really hard to create for an entire country, if not, you know, international mm -hmm. um, folks as well who purchase, you know, resources from TPT. Like it, it makes it really hard. So that's yeah. why I feel like you have to look through things so that, you know, that it is appropriate for for your own population. Exactly. Exactly. I hope that this dialogue becomes a little bit of an eye opener for them. And when they're sitting down and they're looking at curriculum or reviewing it or buying it or using it or creating their own, this is just an important discussion to have. Well, thank you for having me so that we can have it. Yeah. And I look so forward to your session. I really can't wait. And so once again, people, if you want to hear Leslie talk a little bit more all about advisory, engaging students and um, all that kind of stuff, you really want to come to our summer counselor conference. Uh, there's still time to get your tickets and we go live. Well, the conference opens up August 3rd, but the conference really starts August 4th. So I know I can't wait. All right. Well, Leslie, once again, thank you so much. And for everyone who's out there, I will be dropping some links that Leslie has for us in the show notes. And if you want to connect with Leslie, Leslie, do you want to tell them before you, you leave how our people can connect with you? Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram at inform.decisions. Um, and Facebook, there's actually a Facebook advisory group too. That's for free for tips and resources. Um, and uh, I can provide my uh, email as well. If there are any questions that people want to follow up with. And I will make sure that I have all those links and I will put them all in the show notes. So if you're interested and you forget what we just said, please check the show notes. Anyway, people, thank you for joining us. Until next time we chat. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Counselor Chat. All of the links I talked about can be found in the show notes and at counselingessentials.org forward slash podcast. Be sure to hit follow or subscribe 
on your favorite podcast player. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Want to connect? Send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram at Counseling Essentials. Until next time, can't wait till we chat. Bye for now.